0: All of us have aspects of personality and perspective that we might wish we didn't have. Things with which we feel cursed, so to speak, instead of blessed. If it is okay for me to speak that way, I would say that I feel like I have been cursed with irritability. It's something that kind of sits at the edge of my awareness all the time, looking for a place to land in the world. Being prone to irritability means that I don't like it when people seem either not to care or not pay attention. It rears its head when someone doesn't play by the rules or tries to take advantage of others. It shows up when things don't work or effort goes to waste. So, for example, when I'm driving, I can be irritated when someone fails to use their turn signal or when they go too slow and I'm stuck behind them or when they go too fast and go speeding past me in the no-passing zone. I can be irritated when the server at the restaurant takes way too long to make his or her first stop at our table. Did they not notice that we were there? It's made worse when they spend extra time at another table and then seem not to notice us at our table. I can be irritated when politicians act as though they are making decisions for our good, but it's so obvious that they care only about their own egos or grasp on power. I started to say that I'm cursed with irritability, but maybe I'm actually gifted in that regard. At least in the sense that I am quite good at being irritated. It comes from the part of my personality that doesn't suffer fools, that wants things done well, that mistrusts the motives of others when what they say and what they do over and over doesn't match up. Now I'm kind of joking when I say that I'm gifted that way. I'm actually not so proud of it. I certainly don't like it about myself that I get irritated or impatient, and I recognize that irritation is actually a kind of low-level anger. It's not something to be proud of. I wish I could just let things go more than I seem to be able to, but there you go. We each are who we are, the good and the bad, the things we are pleased to claim, and the things we wish we could change. And one of my essential and persisting qualities is irritation, and I confess that. My deeper layer of confession is that nothing irritates me so much as someone coming upon a situation that I have been up to my neck in working to deal with, trying to think of all the angles, seeking a solution to whatever the presenting problem is, and that person walks into the space, having never dealt with that particular issue before, having no clue what the context is, having no idea what's been tried and what hasn't been tried, and says, well, seems to me you should probably do this. Or, have you ever thought of this? As if... Just because some idea popped into their mind, that most certainly no one else has ever thought of it before. Whenever that happens, my first thought, spoken or unspoken, is usually this Do you really think I haven't thought this through? And the worst of those situations for me are the situations when the person who's offering the solution knows only about 5% of what I know about the situation or has about 5% of the experience I have in the particular matter at hand. Ugh. So to offer something, not from the church context, because I don't want you to squelch all your ideas or suggestions just because you want to avoid my irritation. It would be like someone who has never played soccer, much less coached soccer, coming up to me on the sideline after a game and offering what they think is a brilliant idea about how to solve a strategic problem on the field. I've had a few parents try that in my day. You always know it's coming when someone says something like, when I coached football, I tell you all that because when I read the scripture for this morning, I immediately wonder whether the feeling that I'm describing is a little like what the disciples might have felt when Jesus shows up in this story. After they have been fishing all night, and come morning, he shows up, requisitions their boat so he can teach during the time when they would usually be fixing nets and cleaning things up. And then when he's done teaching the crowds gathered on the shore, he tells these fishermen to put out into the deep water and let down the nets. What does Jesus know about fishing? He grew up around carpentry and perhaps stonemason work, not around fishing. It seems reasonable to say that if he was actually a fisherman, if he had any fishing experience at all, he probably wouldn't have asked them for the use of their boats that morning in the first place. He would have known that they had been fishing all night, and he wouldn't have taxed them further But he borrows not only their boats, but their time. In fact, he takes their time away from the net-mending task to get his own teaching business done. And then when he's finished his business, he tells them their business. Put out into deep water and let down the nets. Simon says, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. And then although the very next sentence in the scripture is, yet if you say so, I will let down the nets, it doesn't mean that this happens bang, bang. There may well be some space in the story between Simon's first statement and his second, as one does not necessarily lead to the other. And in that pause, maybe there is a space for a few questions like these to float through Simon's head. What do you know about fishing, Jesus? What do you know about our situation? Simon may look at Jesus and, in the pause, think something like this. Jesus, you haven't asked us about our success or lack of success. Perhaps you already know. And if you already know, then why are you sending us back out exhausted as we are? If, however, you don't know what happened last night or if you failed to note that we were mending empty nets here this morning and you failed to ask us what happened or what we needed or what we intended to do next, then why are you proclaiming a solution to a problem you haven't even asked about and have no experience in solving? You who are a carpenter, an itinerant teacher, a non-fisherman. If Simon thinks something like that, then, well, I can imagine him being irritated. I know I would be. What do you know about my business, Jesus? We've been up all night. We worked all night. Before we even went out, we listened to the shoreside gossip about where the fish were biting, so to speak. We went to our go-to spots. We read the waves and the wind. We listened for the activity out there on the sea. We let let down the nets and pulled them up and let down the nets and pulled them up and let down the nets and pulled them up. And nothing. And now having returned to shore unsuccessful, we are exhausted and behind schedule because we helped you out. And you're telling us what to do. Big sigh. Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Okay. Okay. Since it's you, We'll do what you say. In the pause between what do you know about fishing and because you say so, we will do it, something happens. Why does Simon agree? It's not because Jesus is a fisherman, it's not because Jesus has fish finder technology. It's not because Simon is even convinced that with Jesus, a miracle is about to happen. No, it has to be about something that has happened in the boat while Jesus was teaching. Something that Simon observed or noticed or heard. Has his teaching from the pulpit of the fishing boat, already spoken to Simon? I can certainly imagine that as Jesus taught the crowds on the shore, Simon listened to him in the boat. And maybe in that listening, Simon discovered that there was something about this man, this teacher, that inspired confidence, that invited these better feelings. Instead of irritation, gratitude. Instead of skepticism, trust. Was Jesus a fisherman? No, of course not. Did he care about fishermen? Did he care about these fishermen? Apparently there was something in what he said, what he taught, how he presented, that said to Simon, yes, this man doesn't know your business, but you would do well to have him in your business. The temptation to be resisted in a moment like that is this, the temptation to think, I know better. I have things in hand. I don't need your help. I can't trust your motives. Instead, to overcome such negative temptations, Simon has to trust Jesus. We have to trust Jesus. We have to trust each other. So you know how the rest of the story goes. Simon and his business partners, James and John, do as Jesus says and take the boat out into deep water and they let down their nets. And suddenly there are so many fish that the nets start to break such an abundance that they have to call another boat to come over and help. So many fish that the boats are so overloaded that they are about to sink. And in that moment, two things are clear to Simon. Simon. One is that although Jesus is no fisherman, he is on another plane. He somehow doesn't need to be a fisherman to know exactly where the fish are, and that both impresses and kind of frightens Simon. He suddenly sees that perhaps he has greatly underestimated Jesus. Here is someone who does greater things than whatever small box he was ready to put him into. And Simon readjusts his place and his perspective relative to Jesus. The second thing that becomes clear to Simon is that Jesus can be trusted. Not just trusted for good fishing advice, but trusted to meet Simon's needs, their needs, Simon, James, and John trusted to be able to put together concern with action, trusted to know more and do more and care more than Simon might at first have assumed was possible, much less probable. And there's this as well. In the trusting, the door is opened to abundance. If you can't trust, you won't be able to open your eyes to abundance. If you don't put out into the deep and drop the nets, you won't find the fish. You might find a few, but you won't find them in the amounts that threaten to break the nets and sink the boats. Those two kinds of trust, trust in the reliability and care of others, and trust in the possibility of an abundance of good things, of the things we need, feel like they're hard to come by right now. In times of stress, it's hard not to look at others and to look at the world in general from the viewpoint of suspicion rather than trust. We have all our questions lined up, perhaps even with a nice layer of irritation at the top. Do you know me? Do you know what I need? Do you care? Will you pay attention? Will you do the right thing? Can you be trusted? It's that last question that vexes us the most. Can you be trusted? I know you have an opinion. I know you have an agenda. I know you have your own worries and anxieties. I know you have your own vision of the way things are and the way they should be. But can you be trusted? Can you be trusted to follow through, to care, to have more than just your own interests at heart? And then this question, can abundance be trusted? Is there enough to go around? Is there enough for those who seem to never have enough? Is there enough for you and me? I suspect that irritation, while a kind of low-level anger, is actually rooted in anxiety. When I am irritated, it is because I am anxious. How in heaven's name are things going to work out if others can't be trusted to carry their part? How in heaven's name are things going to work out if I'm not in control? The answers offered there on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus directing the boats toward deeper water Not deeper water in the sense that more depth is more danger, but deeper water in the sense that more depth is more possibility, more abundance, and an increased space for hope and trust are important. When Jesus tells us to put out into the deep water and let down the nets, he's not ignoring the long night of unsuccessful fishing or our exhaustion or our frustration at having to mend the nets yet again, even if we have nothing to show for it. Instead, he is saying this. Trust me. There are more fish out there. There is more of what you need out there. And I'm going to show you that the way to meet your deeper need is to move into deeper water. Are you feeling like you're already in deep water these days? Maybe you are. But maybe there is more of what you need in those deeper waters. What would it mean to try dropping the nets again? Pushing out into new spaces. Trusting that there is more of what you need still waiting for you. And remembering this. That Jesus wouldn't send you there if he wasn't in the boat with you. Amen.